KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu. New recommendations for the Sheriff's Department on transgender arrestees. Ms. Frost, uh, she carried a California driver's license identifying her as a woman. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. California's lowrider advocates work to remove city bans. If you're targeting lowriding, by default, you're targeting Mexicans. And ballets, artwork, and cabaret coming up on our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. The County Citizen Law Enforcement Review Board, or CLRB, has given support to several allegations made by a transgender woman beaten while in county jail. The board also advised the Sheriff's Department to tighten its policy regarding the placement of arrestees according to their gender identification. Christina Frost is suing the county after being beaten last November while in a holding cell occupied by three men. Joining me is San Diego Union Tribune investigative reporter Jeff McDonald. And Jeff, welcome. Hello, Maureen. Christina Frost says she was attacked in a holding cell at San Diego Central Jail while she was sleeping. How badly was she injured? Uh, She was uh, injured badly enough to uh, have to undergo multiple surgeries. So I think two. It's not clear from the legal uh, complaint. Uh, She had a fractured jaw and a bunch of, uh, you know, bruising and abrasions. She was uh, you know, beaten almost unconscious. Uh, And the other thing the lawsuit uh, alleges is that the deputies watched it and didn't immediately intervene to stop the attack. Klerb says that the beating resulted from a systemic failure by the sheriff's department. What does that mean? Uh, I think this is uh, Klerb's way of saying that they continue to find problems of misconduct and lack of uh, following policy within the sheriff's department Uh, But the sheriff's department is not adequately responding to these findings. Uh, So I took that to read as a uh, as a conclusion that uh, despite Klerb's findings over many years on a number of issues, uh, some of these problems keep happening inside the jails. How would Klerb's recommendation change department policies on the placement of people arrested according to their gender identities? Now, the sheriff's department, to its credit, has tightened its policies somewhat regarding trans people uh, and how they deal with uh, trans people who are arrested. Uh, they, they do say they work to uh, house them in the appropriate facilities. Uh, the way the policy reads now is they should endeavor to uh, house them in the appropriate jail when they are arrested. What Clerb is suggesting in the wake of the Frost investigation is that the, the word should be swapped to shall meaning the department will be required to 
place arrestees in facilities that best reflect their gender. Uh, it's important to remember that Ms. Frost, uh, she carried a California driver's license identifying her as a woman. Uh, she also was dressed in female clothing. So uh, it's not really clear why the sheriff's department placed her in the men's jail, uh, but she was attacked uh, uh, within hours after being placed into a cell with uh, three men. Wasn't the sheriff's policy manual actually changed after Frost's lawsuit? Yes, uh, that, that, that was tightened, as I said uh, uh, before. Uh, the thing to remember is the sheriff, uh, and rightly so, uh, constantly is reviewing and updating its policies and procedures. I mean, this is a six or 800 page document, last I checked. So for them to be updating their policies is, uh, is a matter of routine. They, they're constantly looking at their policies and according to them, of course, trying to do their jobs better. So I didn't see a lot of significance in that. This recommendation is uh, obviously would tie their hands as far as uh, where to house uh, transgender arrestees. It remains to be seen if it'll be implemented by the sheriff's department. Don't forget, uh, the review board is uh, advisory only. The department, the sheriff's department, is under no obligation to implement or accept the recommendation. So we'll have to see what happens. CLERB turned itself around on this case, didn't it? Right after some harsh criticism from Frost's lawyer. Uh, yes, that's very interesting. Uh, they don't do that very often. I can only remember one recent case where they where they made such a reversal, uh, and that was the case of Elisa Serna, who was, uh, uh, she died in uh, Las Colinas jail uh, in 2019. Uh, so the, uh, the initial complaint, uh, investigation, excuse me, looked at 10 separate complaints and uh, ruled that they were all either, uh, their actions of the deputies were justified or they were um, unsubstantiated, meaning there wasn't enough evidence to prove or disprove it, uh, or uh, one or two of them were dismissed for lack of jurisdiction, and those regarded the medical, the jail medical issues. The club doesn't have any jurisdiction over the medical staff. Um, the lawyer representing Ms. Frost called into the club board and uh, sharply criticized those findings uh, earlier this month before, excuse me, last month in June, uh, and uh, and uh, criticized CLERB for basically not doing its job and shirking its responsibility to provide independent oversight of the department. To their credit, they took a second look at it, uh, declined to approve the recommendations that were put forward in June, and came back earlier this month with uh, 13 complaints, and five of those were uh, sustained, is the language they used. That means they found enough evidence to... Uh, uh, nailed down a, a violation of policy. What's been the Sheriff's Department's reaction to CLERB's criticism of systemic failure in this case? Well, the department, uh, they always say they welcome CLERB's uh, oversight and its recommendations, and they're glad to have a third-party independent uh, voice overlooking what they do. The reaction in the Frost case has been a little bit muted, I think probably because of the federal lawsuit that's pending in the uh, in U.S. District Court. Uh, also, there's an election coming with the undersheriff uh, being one of two uh, people in the runoff uh, in the November election. And, uh, you know, while it's not supposed to, why politics are not supposed to influence, uh, you know, the administration of uh, law enforcement or criminal justice, uh, it does seem to affect uh, a lot of what public business gets conducted. So, I think for those reasons, the reaction's been uh, a little bit muted, and uh, we'll have to see what happens. I think 
A big question will be how they receive this recommendation to require deputies to put trans people into the cells, uh, into jail cells uh, that uh, conform with the uh, gender identity they, they put forward. I've been speaking with San Diego Union-Tribune investigative reporter Jeff McDonald. Jeff, thanks. Hey, you bet. Thank you. Earlier this year, community organizers in National City announced that low-rider cruising events were canceled over high proposed costs. Elsewhere in California, cruising bans have generated fierce debate over whether or not they unfairly target Hispanic culture. Now, Mexican-American low-rider enthusiasts are working to roll back such bans. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has this story from San Jose, which recently scrapped its decades-old cruising ban. On a warm Friday night, just south of downtown San Jose, it's easy to tell which house belongs to Anthony Perez. Working on a 64 Impala. His friends, Azure, Aqua, Chevy, and Paula, is spilling out of the driveway into the sidewalk, and oldies are echoing from a turntable. Perez works in government welfare during the day, but his passions are rare vinyl and his 1962 two-door hardtop Impala, white with red interior. And tonight, we're headed to Santa Clara Street in downtown San Jose. As you can see, I mean, you're in here, you get behind this big old wheel and you go slow. Weather's perfect. Like, what else, you know, doesn't get much better than that for me. The Impala is a boat of a car, and people give delighted double takes as we pass. See, it's like a carnival ride. We barely break 25 miles an hour, and it kind of feels like we're in our own parade. Everybody's your friend when you're driving this. (laughs) For the most part, when people talk about cruising, they describe laid-back Sunday afternoons and low-key family-friendly outings. This is why lowriders like Perez say the cruising ban wasn't about keeping roadways safer. There's existing laws for not blocking traffic or driving recklessly, so what else could it be besides them trying to marginalize a community or making laws against something that they don't understand? Until the ban was unanimously overturned in June, it had been in place since 1986. Dulce Fernandez is part of a lowrider group that worked to overturn the ban. She says it was an oppressive force. You instinctively grow up looking over your shoulder because you are, you are identifying yourself within the culture. You are identifying yourself as being Latin. Its origins are in the barrio experience of the southwestern region of the United States. John Uyoa is a professor of history and anthropology at San Francisco State University. If you're targeting lowriding, by default, you're targeting Mexicans. Uyoa actually teaches a class on the history of lowriding as part of his school's Latina Latino Studies program. If we talk about lowriding and its origins, then very quickly we can talk about the criminalization of an aesthetic, systemic racism, stereotyping, stripping people of their civil liberties for expressing themselves under the First Amendment of the Constitution. Still, 
some law enforcement in San Jose aren't happy with the repeal. The police department wouldn't make Chief Anthony Mata available for an interview, but right before the city council voted to repeal, he told them about his concerns with lowrider gatherings during celebrations like Cinco de Mayo. Fortunately, yeah, there's uh, individuals in cars that take over a shopping center and do loiter, they do drink, drugs are there, and there's violence. And it does impact our community, it impacts our business. Elsewhere in California, Sacramento's cruising ban has also come down recently, and organizers in San Diego County's national city are working towards their own repeal. There's also a move in the state legislature to protect cruising statewide. For Americans, cars have always represented freedom and self-expression. Lowriders are part of this history. Oh, there he is. What's up? <laughs> Back on Santa Clara Street, Anthony Perez says lowriding is so much more than just a hobby. So my mom met my dad cruising, so I guess it's in my blood. It's part of his origin story. My mom was out cruising with her friends, and my dad was out cruising with his friends, and they stopped at Jack in the Box, and they met, and the rest was history. So Perez says he was born to be behind the wheel. And Mary Franklin Harvin in San Jose. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. For our weekend preview, our options range from folk art to the ballet and cabaret to, what's that called, Comic-Con? Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. And welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. A new exhibition opens at the Mingay Museum this weekend. Tell us about This Is Our Story. Yeah, this is subtitled American Vernacular Art from the Kaplan Collection. It's an exhibition of works by artists who didn't study in the traditional academic setting, so they're practicing their artwork as a part of their ordinary life. And the show features work from a range of American artists, including some living artists. And when you look at centuries and centuries of folk art and self-taught artists, the way that we view traditional historical folk art versus how we see artists that are self-identifying in that way now, that's really fascinating to me. And one of the artists in the show is John Bach, who builds these remarkable pieces of furniture out of repurposed metals. And this exhibition will open on Saturday. The Mingays open from 10 to 5 on Saturday and Sunday in Balboa Park. And their Nikki de Saint-Fal collection is also still on view, as is the Moses exhibition of paper bag sculptural hats. So City Ballet of San Diego kicks off a new season this weekend with a performance called On the Move Reimagined. What do we know about this? The City Ballet said that this is about the evolution in classical ballet, how traditional works are constantly being updated and revived. And this is something that City Ballet does so well. So they're taking a bunch of classics, like the Lilac Fairy variation from The Sleeping Beauty. There's the origin of Mirtha and the Willies from Giselle. And there's the Curse of the Firebird piece and many more. And they're reviving them with new choreography. And they're also presenting new work from company choreographer Jeffrey Gonzalez. It's a premiere of Boudoir set to Mozart's Eine Kleine Nacht music. 
And the program just kicked off last night, and they have two more performances, tonight and Saturday at 7.30. And this is at the Tory Pines Performing Arts Center in Del Mar. Well, here's a classic, but definitely not a classical ballet. Signet Theatre just opened their production of the musical Cabaret. What can you tell us about this show? Yeah, the musical was first produced in 1966. It's based on a stage play and a novel, but it's set in the early 1930s Berlin as the Nazis began their rise to power. And it all revolves around the seedy nightclub, the Kit Kat Club. It's a pretty beloved musical, and we're listening to the tune Perfectly Marvelous. This is from the 90s Broadway cast recording of the show. Perfectly marvelous girl in this perfectly wonderful place As I lifted a glass to the start of a marvelous year Before I knew it, she called on the phone And tonight's show has a couple of special features. Theater on Tap, your ticket to tonight's 8 o'clock performance, also gets you into this craft beer event. So that's starting at 7 with discounts and drinks. And after the performance is their Friday Forum. It's a discussion with the cast and the director, Sean Murray, right after the show. And Cabaret will be on stage at the Signet Theater through September 4th. Now, some visual art, and you're recommending Trash Lamb Gallery in South Park. What's opening this weekend? Artist Catherine Brannock is opening an exhibition of illustrations from her forthcoming graphic novel series, The Wakenings. The Wakenings are these creatures that she's invented. They're autobiographical, and they're also inspired by the toll of childhood trauma. So things like dissociative amnesia. But these creatures are somewhere between beautiful and grotesque. Some I describe as kind of fish-like, or the illustration is like this looping letter-like shape with beautiful designs and then you'll see a claw or teeth or something to remind you that it's a creature. The reception for Catherine Brannock is from 7 to 10 on Saturday and there'll also be an artist talk and a screening of an animation short at 8 o'clock. Speaking of creatures, it's Comic-Con and you've published a roundup of off-site events that don't require a Comic-Con badge. What's a highlight for you? I'll point you to what's going on at the downtown library. It's the comic conference for educators and librarians. This is free and it's open to the public as well as Comic-Con attendees, but the non-badge holders do need to RSVP in advance for any of the panels. If you do have a Comic-Con badge, you can just walk in. There's a lot of great stuff in there and you don't have to be a librarian or a teacher to get anything out of this, but there is a set of panels about banned and challenged books that seems really essential right now. This is Mary Elizabeth Uteralde, who was one of the original co-founders of Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore, and she's helped coordinate the conference. We're seeing attacks on library content. We're seeing attacks on bookstore content and having something where people can talk about best practices and how to respond and how to keep works available to readers is topical and important and necessary. Today at four o'clock is Bands Off Our Books. That has cartoonist Jeff Smith and other writers and artists who've had their work banned, along with some scholars, some librarians. And then Saturday at 3 o'clock is Intellectual Freedom for Educators. And of course, after you're done at the CCEL, you can walk around and check out all the cosplay. The library is right next to the public Petco Park Activation Zone, which is a big hub of off-site, no-badge activity for Comic-Con. 
And you can find details on these and more arts events and sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts Newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS Arts Editor and Producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thank you, Maureen. Have a good weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.